as Joyce said, it is so good to be here. Isn't she a great cheerleader? <laughs> the best of the best. Um, so I wouldn't limit it just to the men in the mezzanine, because some of the women in this church are strong. Amen, ladies? <sighs> Pastor Jeff and Ingrid, thank you for this wonderful privilege and opportunity to come and to share for just a little bit today. Um, because it's only one service, uh, Pastor uh, Jason has given me two hours. And so I'm going to see what we can do in, in a couple of hours. If you have your Bibles, before we begin, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. It's not going to come up on the screen, but I just want you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Because we're going to finish the series on this aspect of building your house. And we're talking about position. Who we are in Christ is really important to know. But you know what even goes deeper than that? Is knowing whose you are. And when you know whose you are, then no matter what comes your way in life, your trust is in him. And we're going to go through that together. But in Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 14... Jesus says these incredible words because he knows why he's come to fulfill the will of the Father, to stretch out God's hand to be able to redeem humanity and bring those whosoever wills into the family of God that they can be part of his eternal purpose. And so Jesus says these words, enter by the narrow gate. Everybody say narrow. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So I want you to know, as we start going through our, our talk today, it's not easy to be a Christian. How many have gone through stuff? How many are going through stuff? How many have disappointments in your life? How many have seen promises in God's word and haven't seen them fulfilled? And it scandalizes us at times. And we struggle with it all. And yet what Jesus says to us, if you persist, the way is hard, but it leads to life. He's talking about something that's absolutely eternal. He's not just talking about something that's temporal. You know, as a pastor, every so often, and you've heard me say it before, I'd see people go away for the weekends in the summer, go to the cottage, have a wonderful time, and I'd be coming to the house of the Lord thinking, I'd like to put a sign on the front door that said, gone fishing. And then the Lord reminds you, it ain't over. Because when you step into eternity, it's going to be a whole lot better than going to the cottage, a whole lot better than going fishing. It's going to be something that it's never even entered into your mind, the things that I have prepared for you. And you're not going to miss a sunset. You're not going to miss a great day. You're not going to miss weather. No matter what happens, the best is yet to come. 
for all of us. And so as we did this series, what we're learning is what are the things that God wants to help us with because there's a lot wrong in the world. Have you noticed it? And we want to fix what's going on in the world and we wonder how we're going to do that. And yet Jesus comes along and he gives us this truth out of Matthew 7. Then he tells us there are people who were lost and there are people who were found. Lord, what do you mean by that? What are you trying to say to us? So we started the series with the whole idea that in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were given the command, God said to them, do not partake of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do, you will die. And how many know when they partook of that fruit, they didn't die physically, they died spiritually. So when God breathed into them, he breathed into them eternal life, that they would live forever and forever. And the ominous moment of that was when they disobeyed God. God knew now that separation from him had taken place, and now they were participants of spiritual death, not life. And even though physically they stayed on the planet till they were in their 900s, but then eventually their physical body gave out and their spirit was released from their body. And so in your life and in my life, when we close our eyes for the last time, our spirit goes to be with the Lord, stands before him, and we either stand before him in sin or we stand before him in righteousness. You can be in sin and be a really good person. You can be in sin and be rich and be wise and make a difference in the world, but you're still in sin. And what God wants to do is put his finger on that area in all of our lives. So we started the series with the realization of the lostness of humanity. But aren't you glad in the goodness of God he didn't leave us that way? That's the beauty of the good news. That's the amazing truth of the gospel that God says to us, here is your condition before me. Not necessarily your condition before men. They just see the surface. I see the heart. And so here's your condition. But I've made a way for you to be restored back to relationship with me. So what you learned from the very beginning of the series is that when God says something, he means it. And when he told Adam and Eve that you will die, when they did what they did, they died, and now they were bankrupt in their sin and could do nothing about it. How many of us know right now that when it comes to the issue of salvation, you and I can do nothing about it. All we can do is receive it. Can't do anything about it. You can't earn your salvation. You can never be good enough to be saved. You just have to recognize it is the mercy of God alone that allows you and I to stand before him in righteousness. And what we couldn't do, Jesus did. Hallelujah. 
But all through the scriptures, from that moment until Jesus comes into the world, there is the recognition that God's character is always on display. All through the Bible, even though generations saw prophecies be given but not being fulfilled, but other generations got to see the fulfillment of it, the realization that God is a God of character and justice and holiness, and because of that, you and I can have absolute confidence in him. You know, the Bible tells us there's going to come a time every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. To what? To the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. And so you get to realize that all of the accusations that the devil has made over the centuries, all of those accusations will prove to be absolutely untrue. Let everyone be a liar. Let every man in particular be a liar, but let God be true. And so God's character is going to come through at the end so that you and I are going to enjoy eternity with him and never, ever have a question about his faithfulness and his goodness and his kindness to us. So that's how we started. And in week two, we get into the whole idea that if we're lost and we can't do anything about it, is God searching for us? And the realization is that he is. I love Colossians 2, 14. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, Paul says. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. And what did he do on your account and my account? He took out his big stamp and he put it over, paid in full. Aren't you glad your account has a paid in full stamp on it? Hallelujah. Even when you don't feel like it's been paid in full, it's not about you. It's about him. It's about how faithful he is. And when he stamps paid in full, you can take that to the bank. Come on. You can take it to the bank. In week three, we took the look at the whole issue of sanctification, what it means for God to separate us unto himself. We're a royal priesthood. Thessalonians says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify or set you apart completely so that your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Let me do an illustration. <laughs> 75 next month. Come on. <clears throat> you wear a physical body but you were inside that body. And one day, that body is going to pass away with all of its failings, with all of its sickness, with all of its dishonor. If you read 1 Corinthians 15, all of its weakness, 
All that was required for you to live on the planet in preparation for eternity with God. But the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and we who remain going to be caught up together with the, him in the clouds of the air to ever be with the Lord. So what goes in the ground stays in the ground until Father says, come home. And we get separated unto him so that our spirit, soul, and body now is completely sanctified. So you go from a natural body with all of its weakness and all of its failings to a spiritual body that's glorified. So just like Jesus came out of the grave on the third day with a glorified body, you could see it, you could touch it, and you could recognize who it was. And you're going to have that kind of a glorified body. And it's going to be perfect. It's never going to be weak again. It's never going to be sick again. And just like at the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah were recognizable. You are going to be recognizable. But not in a fallen state, in a perfect state. So I know some mornings you look in the mirror and you go, hmm, you are looking good. You are fine today. I want you to know, in heaven's mirror, you're going to be fine every day. And you're never going to be disappointed with the perfect work of God in your heart and in your life. Now, this side of eternity, all of us will have moments of disappointment, discouragement. Why did that happen, Lord? What's going on? And we're going to find ourselves sometimes at odds with him, and he's just going to say, trust me. Just trust me. I have set you apart now. I am setting you apart forever. And then we moved into becoming ambassadors and being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad he's conforming you to his image and to his likeness? He's not conforming you to anything that looks natural. He's conforming you to have a kingdom life. And that's where the narrow and the wide road challenge each other. Because there are things going on on the wide road, or they call it Broadway for a reason, that we're not a part of. And Jesus whispers in your ear at night, you're not missing anything. I'm preparing you for a road that is narrow, that the destination is me. And so in your life and in my life, that destination is, Lord, conform me to your image and to your likeness because I want to think like you. I want to feel like you. I want to act like you. I want to make a difference in the world on your behalf. I want to serve to the capacity of which you have empowered me, whatever that might be. And in week five, we talked about glorifying God. 
which really means that when Pastor Joyce talked about serving, giving, doing anything, what you're saying is, Lord, I live a grateful life, a thankful life. I am saying, Lord, I will serve in whatever capacity because I am so grateful that you have done for me what I could not do for myself and that I'm going to live forever grateful for your goodness and your kindness. And the least I can do, when I saw Lori and Callum out putting the flags out today and we turned into the parking lot, my heart just exploded with joy because there's an example of a little one learning that's serving in the house of the Lord. You don't have to wait till you're all grown up. You can start right where you are. And what you're doing is just saying, Lord, I'm thankful that you have made me part of your forever family. And I will be eternally grateful one day for all the opportunities you gave me during my lifetime to be a witness for you, to make a Jesus-sized difference. And so that's what we started. So how about we start today's message? How do we stay anchored in Christ? And so go back to Genesis 2. The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and man became a living being. So every human being has the divine touch of God in their heart and in their life. The question is, do they recognize it and what are they going to do with it? Do you think it's an accident that people around the world have all this creative ability to do all the things that they do? Have you ever noticed that often people that make a, an impact in the music industry and in the electronics industry, these are people that start their journey out in the church? But somewhere along the line, they get dissuaded a little bit. But that gifting of God, that talent in their life is not meant for themselves. It's meant to bless God. It's meant to bring glory to God somehow. And so that divine life that was in human beings from the very beginning continues on to today. And Jeff Locklear says it refers to the imparting of the life of God, not just the life of being a human being. So when you look at all of this, you realize that as you study the scriptures, you see men and women who respond to God and act in their generation in such a way as that God's able to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. He does it in co-laboring. He chooses to partner with us. Aren't you glad he does? But have you ever tried to work with your kids when they're really little and you ask them to clean up? And in your mind, you're saying, oh, I can do that a whole lot faster and better. But you let them because they're learning how to take responsibility, how to be good stewards. And God does the same with us. And so for Adam and Eve in the garden, they're the beginning of the whole process. And as you start going through the Bible, you see that God eventually establishes a people for himself. He brings them out of Egyptian bondage after 400 years with all of the customs and all the religious ide uh, uh, 
idolatry and ideology in them. And he takes them into the wilderness and he says, I'm going to remove those 400 years. I'm going to take a tithe. It's going to be 40 years. I'm going to take a tithe and I'm going to completely erase that thinking from you. And I'm going to create a new people. And as I do that, I'm going to teach you how to respond to me as well. And so through the wilderness, you see that happening as God establishes his people and he gives them commands and laws and opportunities for them to understand who God is and who they are and how they can approach him. And then you get the institution of kingship somewhere along the line where leaders emerge and God wants to use them. And ultimately... At the end of the book of Malachi, and if you're Italian, that's the book of Malachi, you get to that and everything stops, goes quiet for 400 years. In the quietness, God is still working his plan. In your life, sometimes he goes quiet. Doesn't mean he's not working. He's just doing things under the surface. He's asking you to trust him, to affirm that the plan that God has that is unfolding and working is going to a conclusion. And you and I are part of it. And we're part of this generation. And as we're part of this generation, there's a certain amount of light that has come and understanding that has come. And yet God is still working. And between the end of Malachi and the beginning of the book of Matthew, and all of a sudden, there's a star in the sky. And God begins to unfold this plan that began in the book of Genesis to bring the people back into relationship with him, not by externals now, but by a change of heart. Everything they've been doing to this point was external, but now he wants to work internally. Change us from the inside out, not from the outside in. And so there comes a moment where Jesus is revealed as prophet and priest and king. And as he's working with his disciples, they understand this narrow way. And he's, they understand that it's hard and things are tough. And Thomas says to him one day in John 14, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And what does Jesus respond? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, Thomas, then you will know my Father. Jesus was the perfect reflection of the Father heart of God to humanity. God seems so distant, and when you look at all the civilizations around the world, they've tried so hard to understand who God is, and often they have ended up with, he's angry, we have to do sacrifices, we have to satisfy him, or we don't have good crops, and God says, all of that is a misunderstanding of who I am. So when he sends Jesus into the world, God with flesh on, an example that you and I can see every single day that when you hear me and you see me and you watch me, you will know the heart of my Father. Then there'll be no excuse. So you think of that process where Jesus then goes to a cross and you see the love of God in action. 
the willingness of God to take your place and my place at the cross so that paid in full can be stamped and we can become the righteousness of God in Christ. It is a plan that would never enter the mind of man. I've been doing quite a bit of study over the last little while on how Muslims understand Christianity and how Jews understand Christianity. And guess what? Without a revelation of the Spirit of God upon your heart and your life, you can't understand it. It doesn't make sense. How can one God be manifest in three persons as Father, Son, and Spirit? One apologist from Islam said, why would I want to kill my son for someone else's wrong? Don't understand the storyline. See, it's not about a religion. This is about a relationship with God. And the church then becomes an expression in a locality of those who have a relationship with God and demonstrate worship, demonstrate servanthood, demonstrate Christ-likeness, demonstrate who they're anchored in and why they're anchored in him. And so when we go from lost to found, what we learn, first of all, is that God has called us to someone and his name is Jesus. And when that revelation touches your heart, genuinely touches your heart, nothing and no one in heaven or on earth can dissuade you from following Jesus. The second thing, it's a call to do something. And so the calling, first of all, is always personal. And as you're called... God starts to deposit in you all of the things that he wants to do in and through your life. Spiritual gifts, skills, natural talents, abilities, life experiences, resources. Everything is given to us to steward. And when we steward it well, we give glory to God. When we don't steward it well, it shows we are still self-focused. We want to be God-focused. Uh, Joyce and I sit down every so often and we talk about what God's done in our heart and life over the years. And uh, we're just Humpty Dumpties, just broken people that God started to put together. And we're still broken in areas of our life, just like you. And yet we stopped along the way and said, Lord, we don't know why you chose us, but we're glad you did. But whatever it was that you placed in us, Lord, we want to be good stewards of that. Whatever it is. And forever, as long as we are allowed to breathe on this planet, we're going to serve your purposes. And I hope that's what's in your heart as well. Because when it is, then God puts his hand in your heart and begins to draw things out to use. And every opportunity you get to serve him is a way to say thank you, is a way to keep your focus on someone, not something, and to recognize everything I do, I do for you, Jesus, every single day of my life. 
I want to bring glory to you. So you may not think it's much, but you might be sitting at a Tim Hortons with someone over a cup of coffee, and you don't realize it, but you're encouraging them. You're ministering life to them. Don't ever underestimate the power of God using your life with everything he's deposited in your life. Just give him permission today. Lord, I give you permission to do whatever you want. This journey for me started when I laid my hands on my work, when I was working in the government in Ottawa. Joyce and I were just kind of back together, and I said, Lord, whatever you want to do with my life, do it. How many know that's a dangerous prayer? Are you willing to pray that prayer? And it doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. It's, Lord, whatever you want to do with everything that you've already deposited in me, do it. It's like what happens when you and I take a look at the nations of the world. Every nation has resources in it for the sake of that nation, but also to bless the nations. Every nation. And so God doesn't want us to become beggars. He wants us to become people who recognize the deposit that he's already placed and do it uniquely. You know, we live in Canada. We have a lot of resources in Canada. And God is choosing to use those and bring them to the forefront. And so for us in the kingdom of God, it's to say, Lord, we are never without resources. We are complete in you. Your promises are yes and amen. And we can press into whatever it is you're calling us to do. And you're our provision. You're Jehovah Jireh. And we can trust you in all of that. Oh, I just don't have enough. You never have enough. Because what God wants to do is always bigger so that our trust is in him. Our confidence is in him. And that we're living by faith, not by sight. And so that's the stretch. Pastor Jason in the notes talks about people and events and circumstances that have been in our life before we came to Christ. And those change when we come to Christ because he brings new people into our life, new events, new circumstances. <clears throat> and he starts to grow us up. And as he does that, some wonderful things happen. I want you to look up at the screen for just a moment. We're going to talk in a moment about some trees. And um, when you think of trees, they're given to us for all kinds of good reasons. There's all different kinds of trees. In the Bible, there's olive trees. We know what that's for. Fig trees, sycamore trees, mustard trees, trees of life. Lots of things going on in the scriptures. And even Jesus was hung upon a tree. What started at a tree is going to end at a tree where we're going to be in the wonderful kingdom of God and the tree, the leaves of the trees are going to be for the healing of the nations. So there's a lot that goes on in natural life that is a type of what's in eternal life. But let me read this scripture before the trees come up. Your calling is about a direction your life is going in. It's not about a destination. You leave the destination to him because he's already made it secure for you. 
but you're living out your life and you're saying, Lord, I want my direction to be always heading towards your purposes. So here's what Colossians says, beginning at verse 4 of chapter 2. I'm saying this, that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, Paul says, but I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you have received him, continue to walk in him, being what? Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. That's where you and I are anchored. Just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be very careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, human reasoning, the basic elemental things of the world rather than on him who is eternal and is inviting you to join him in an eternal world that is made new. And so you read something like that and your heart says, oh God, that is such an expansive vision for my life to be focused that way, that I want to be able to understand it. And so let's look at a couple of the trees as they come up. Jeremiah tells us very much that you can be a tree planted by the water and it sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes, its leaves remain green. It's not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. So when you look at a tree, you see the leaves, you see the branches, you see the trunk, you don't necessarily see the roots. But how many know that when you look at a tree, trees are seasonal too? The leaves of the tree can be there for a while and then they can blow away. Leaves can be like people that come into your life for a season and are no longer in your life. They come and they go. They're temporal. They're not eternal. And so when you look at a tree and I look at a tree, I enjoy it for the season that I'm enjoying it, but I know that when the seasons change, the tree's going to change. And the leaves are not always going to be there. And then you also have the branches. Branches are wonderful. You can see them supporting the leaves and they make the tree look really beautiful. But do you ever notice that branches can break off? I have a gardener at my house and she has been working hard this summer. And she's been raking the branches that have fallen from our tree and taking good care of our tree. We had to get it trimmed this year. And how many know as wonderful as the branches are, you can't anchor anything on the branches because just like the leaves blow away, the branches break off. And you and I have people in our life that if we put too much pressure on them, they break. 
So you can't be anchored to people. Got to have something better than that. And then you look at the trunk of the tree, and the trunk of the tree, it's wonderful when you see some of these documentaries where bears rub up against the trunk of the tree because they want to scratch their back. But trunks can also be damaged. They can rot. Things can happen. And so you don't necessarily depend upon the trunk. If you come to Israel when we go in 2023, you'll come to the Olive Garden and you'll also see trees in the garden where there's new shoots coming out of the trunk because there's life in the tree, but not necessarily in the trunk that's visible, but there's new life coming up. And so in your heart and in my heart, we realize that people can be damaged, things that they can go through. But God wants to say, I want to birth new life in you. Oh, but I'm too old. I'm too broken. I'm too this. I'm too that. And he says, no, you're not. I can bring a shoot out of you that can make a difference in this day. Will you allow me to work in you? And then you have the roots of the tree. And how many know that when you look at how big the foliage is on a tree, under the ground, the roots are just as big. And they go real deep. You can see the leaves. You can see the branches. You can see the trunk. But that's not where the life is. The life is in the roots. And when you're rooted, anchored in Christ Jesus, that's where your life is coming from. And his life is flowing through you. And as it flows through you, good things happen. Now watch when you go to the next slide. You're still looking at roots, but they're not grounded anymore. And if you're not part of a local church community, you're not grounded the way you need to be. God has called us to be the gathered church, not the scattered church. All through the Bible, it's the church at Colossae. It's the church at Thessalonica. It's the church at Rome. In other words, it's a local expression of a global body. And you and I need to be part of it. But you can have the soil that's around the roots of your life be washed away by the storms of life and can create a problem. But if you stay planted in the house of the Lord, you will, number one, never be uprooted, and you will always be able to be strong in God. There's an uprooted tree where the storm was greater than the tree. But I want you to know those roots were not solid enough to hold that tree in place. For you and I, the storms of life are going to come, but our roots are deep enough and our roots are rooted in him and he's going to enable us to stand. We'll never end up being uprooted. So when someone says to me, do you think salvation is eternal? Absolutely I do. Because when God gives you the gift of eternal life, he doesn't take it away. But you can be unfruitful in your life, or you can choose to be fruitful. I hope you've chosen to be fruitful. And so let's finish by the recognition that the gospel is not hidden 
from anyone. But the gospel's hard. It's tough for people to come to terms with it. Because when you go through tough times, you as a believer in Christ get stronger and stronger no matter how tough the season is because your roots are seeking the nourishment that comes from him alone and you're drawing the supply that you need to be strong in those hard times. Strong people create good times for others. Because the witness of your life, if I talk to Jackie and her mom and I think about the things that you've gone through, you're able to say, let me tell you something. He's absolutely faithful no matter what you go through. And when it seems impossible, you just start to realize, Lord, I think I'm tipping. I think I'm tipping. And he says, I'll hold you. I'll keep you secure in me. I've already got the deposit of my life in you. And when those roots go down, just allow them to hold tight. And when you are weak and you can't hold on any longer, I'll hold you. So then you know that you're anchored in Christ. And we finish by recognizing that the redemption that you and I enjoy is because he set us free. Free from what? free from the bondage of spiritual death, free from the reality that we're not in relationship to him and free from having to do it all ourselves. And now we've been redeemed and we're in the things of the kingdom of God. He's at work in us and we can then be settled and secure and anchored in him. Titus says Jesus gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness, cleanse us for a people for himself, for his own possession, eager to do good works. If you're not eager to serve and do good works, find out why. Say, Lord, I got my eyes on myself. I've got my eyes on my own capacity rather than on your provision. If you look to your capacity, you're always going to fall short. But if you look to his fullness, you're always going to have enough and some left over to be a blessing to others. Repentance we talked about, which is a lifestyle of saying, Jesus, I'm being conformed to your image and likeness. Therefore, I want to live a repentant lifestyle. What does that mean? It means that every single day you just say, Jesus, I need you. Last but not least, we learn to renounce. We leave behind what limits us. Second Timothy says it this way, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. Oh, could I go down a track on that one? I see so many pastors getting all caught up in what's going on in the world with covid and vaccines and everything to do with it to the point where they're not preaching the gospel of the kingdom anymore. They're simply talking about the cultural dynamics of the day. We need to understand what's going on in our world, but we're not called to preach the contents of the world. 
We're called to preach the gospel because that's where people's hope must be. We live in a sinful world. We live with sinful leaders. Things are going to be broken. Things are going to be done that are wrong. But the kingdom of God is just and faithful and hopeful. And that's where you have to put your trust. You're aware of what's going on, but you don't live there. You live in the things of the kingdom. So, well, that's a smattering. Then I know where you're at, some of you. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled. That's all I'm saying. We don't get entangled in the things of civilian life. We seek to please our commanding officer. God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. You may say, I know him, but does he know you? That's the challenge. Matthew 7, if you go through it, Lord, Lord, many will say to me on that day, does he know you? Is your name written down in heaven? Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? That's something you want to be certain of. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will turn away from wickedness. And so together we've been studying his presence and now his position, and we're building his house his way. And so I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to finish with a crafted prayer. I know I've gone on just a little bit longer than I should, but I haven't been here for a long time. Who'll give me five, just five more minutes? Five, 10, 15, 20, 25. All right. I want you to look up on the screen, and when I stop, I'm going to ask you to say these words. I'm anchored in Jesus. All right? Everybody say it with me. I'm anchored in Jesus. While Jesus builds his house, he calls, equips, and appoints each of us to be co-laborers with him. Therefore, we are his people living on mission to seek and to save those who are lost. Say it with me. I am anchored in Jesus. We serve confidently knowing the gates of hell will never prevail against the blood-bought, spirit-filled, gathered church. Our outreach is to those who live under the penalty of eternal separation from the love of God. Say it with me. I am anchored in Christ. On every page in God's word is the unfolding promise that God made a way for our sin to be forgiven through the cross. As Jesus cried out, it is finished. We are ambassadors serving one another with a bowl and a towel as Jesus served us. Say it with me. I am anchored in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for anchoring us in Christ. You're the good shepherd, and we're the sheep of your pasture. Today, we thank you for pursuing, adopting, and placing us into your church and your eternal kingdom. We're grateful in declaring the gospel is the power of God unto salvation and a reminder of God's love and action. Say it with me. I am anchored in Jesus. Matthew 16, what will it profit a man or a woman or a young person if they gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Everybody say it with me. 
I am anchored in Jesus. Put your hand over your heart. Father, what a precious, precious opportunity that we have had today to come together to rejoice that we're the body of Christ in the earth in this local expression in Cornwall. Thank you for our brothers and sisters. Thank you for an opportunity to serve. Thank you for the privilege of worship. Thank you, Lord, for the joy of prayer. Thank you for the richness of your word. Jesus, we want to exalt your presence in every stage of our life, whether we're young or whether we're old, whether we're at home or whether we're in public. We want others to know that Things may swirl around us, but we are absolutely anchored in you. And so, Jesus, as we close our time together, we want to thank you that most of us that are watching online today or sitting in this house know that they know that they are anchored in you. But if you don't know that today, this is an opportunity for you to simply say, Lord, I turn away from sin. I turn away from a self-centered life. And I repent of my sin. And I put my trust in you. Jesus, be Savior and Lord of my life today. And so, Lord, being anchored in you is what we've talked about today because we know whose we are today. Thank you for loving us just the way we are but loving us enough not to leave us the way we are. In Jesus' name, amen.